Welcome to the Abbott Loop Community Church Podcast. Enjoy this message from Rick Benjamin. Our message begins in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We've been doing this as kind of a start off for this series of messages. Here it is, follow along. The New Living Translation. When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. That's the Apostle Paul writing those words. He started that church in that Greek city called Corinth. He was there for a year and a half, the Bible says. And he was a very intelligent person, very educated person. Many things he could have said and taught while he was there. But like he said there, only Jesus and the cross. So we're focusing on Jesus and the cross at Abilube these days. We began this series last month. Our lead pastor, Josh Tanner, told how he got the idea from my father, Dick Benjamin. Uh, we're both named Richard Benjamin. He's the senior, I'm the junior. They always called him Dick. They call me Rick. I'll tell you about my dad and why he's important to us. He started this church in 1959, a long, long time ago, on this very location. And he was our senior pastor off and on for about 20 years. But the off and on was because him and my mom chose to leave Anchorage and travel throughout Alaska, throughout the states, other countries of the world, for 25 years. They traveled around supporting these new churches and young pastors that we sent out from here. That was a great ministry. And then finally retired in 1999. My mom passed away two and a half years ago. We miss her a lot. My dad, he's still with us. He was here in the first service and last Friday, May 4th, his birthday. He turned 93 years old. He's doing great. Yeah, he is. And so the guys from the team here go visit Dad off and on. He loves that. And Josh was up there at the house one day, and Father was talking to him about the cross and how we need to hear some messages about the cross. And so we got the idea, Josh got the idea, to get a lot of my dad's notes from over the years, messages from the 80s, the 90s, and so on, and kind of redig that well, Josh said, and go back to some of our roots and honor our heritage. In fact, honor my dad and his ministry, which I think is great. And Josh said, we're going to walk around the cross. He was the one on the center cross, we know. See the cross from different perspectives, different points of view. So Josh led off with the first message, the Father's perspective, how God the Father saw the cross. And the Father saw the cross as kind of the centerpiece of his whole master plan, his great prearranged plan, motivated by God's love and by his justice which they all came together, reconciled on the cross. Then I did a message of the Son's perspective, how Jesus, the Son of God, saw the cross. Very unique. He died on that cross. He always knew it was his destiny. In his humanity, he didn't want to do it. But praise God, he surrendered himself to God's will and his destiny. He said yes to the Father. Those great words, not my will, but thy will be done. How did he do it? One way was he looked through the cross. He looked beyond the cross. The Bible says he saw the joy set before him. And that joy included all of us, all of us who believe in Jesus. That joy included me and you. Praise God. And last Sunday, Josh did this amazing message about our enemy, Satan's perspective on the cross, and how Satan probably saw the cross as his greatest victory, like his best day. But after the cross... Satan looked back and realized he was just a pawn in God's great cosmic chess game. That's right. 
God's great master plan. And now Satan looked back and realized that day was my greatest humiliation and defeat. To use Josh's words, worst day ever. And we even played a clip of my father speaking. Now, the message was from 22 years ago when my dad was only 71 years old. But he was preaching with a lot of boldness and authority. And he said, put an adjective in front of the devil. Defeated. We should call him defeated devil. That's right. And then he said, I'm taking my stand on this side of the cross in a place of victory. And we all should do the same. Amen. Next time Josh speaks, we'll be talking about our view of the cross, how we Christians followers, disciples of Jesus, how we see the cross. And my message today is everyone else, how the world sees the cross, the world's perspective. It all begins here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. The message of the cross is foolish, that's the word, to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. Foolish, that's really, in a word, how the world sees the cross. It says in the Amplified Bible, the message of the cross is foolishness, absurd and illogical to those who are perishing and spiritually dead. And the message paraphrase reads like this, the message that points to Christ on the cross seems like sheer silliness to them. The world's perspective, it started from the very first day, from people who were right there at the foot of the cross itself. They were seeing it happen. And they couldn't understand it. They actually mocked and made fun of Jesus and the cross. Here it is in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Amazing. Even in their words, they were speaking truth. They were that close. Their words are so full of irony. He said he'd tear down the temple. It was happening right before their eyes. They thought he meant the temple in Jerusalem. But he was talking about what they were doing that day. They were killing the temple of his body. And three days later, we know, he rose it up on Resurrection Sunday. They saved others, he said. They were mocking him in that way. Are you hearing what you're saying? You're admitting that he saved other people. You could be one of them. Let him come down from the cross if he can. You know, he didn't. He chose not to. He stayed up there for them and for us. They were so close, even those people right there. They should have known, but they could not see. It was foolishness to them, and they mocked him. 1 Corinthians 1.23 tells more about this. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. And that was their audience in the first century. The Jewish people, a stumbling block. Why is that? Now, my footnote in my Bible reads this way. The Jews expected a triumphant political Messiah, not a crucified one. He wasn't what they wanted. He wasn't what they expected. You're the wrong kind of Messiah. Dying on a cross? No way. We want a hero, a general, a conqueror, uh, George Washington, father of a new country, independence from the Romans, and so on. And so they stumbled over him. What about the Gentiles, all the rest of us? Well, 
The footnote says Greeks and Romans were sure no respectable person would be crucified. So it was unthinkable that a crucified criminal could be the world's savior. They knew crucifixion. That's what they did to criminals. That's where the bad guys went. So that could not be any kind of a hero or a savior. Foolishness. Ridiculous. And so they missed it. Watch this. This was 200 years later. I'm going to show you a picture. It's actually graffiti. Yeah, they were doing graffiti way back then, centuries ago. In the city of Rome, they found this on a wall on the Palatine Hill. It shows a young man worshiping. That's the man down there. Worshiping someone on the cross. But look what they did to him. Yeah, that's supposed to be Jesus on the cross. And they gave him the head of a donkey. Doesn't that make you mad? They're mocking Jesus. And the Greek words actually say, Alexemenos worships his God. This person, Alex, he was our brother in Christ. He was a Jesus worshiper. And someone else tagged this wall to make fun of him and Jesus and the cross. Wow. That's how the world saw it even then. Along came the prophet Muhammad, the founder of a whole new religion. There's a picture of him, and he's holding the book, the Holy Quran, they call it, around 600 A.D. And the Quran actually tries to honor Jesus. I read the whole thing myself. They call him the son of Mary, and they call him a prophet, and so on. This is the very first chapter. They call it a sarat. Listen to the very words of the Quran. Because of them saying we killed Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, the messenger of Allah. But they killed him not, nor crucified him. The resemblance of Jesus was put over another man, and they killed that man. For surely they killed him not, Jesus, son of Mary. That's what they think. They can't imagine Jesus died on that cross. So their book says that another man died there, and God made that other person who was not Jesus look and even sound like him. One Muslim leader said, is God so weak that he cannot protect his own son? If someone should attack my son, I would go and kill him. And God leaves his son to be crucified? What are you talking about? And today in our world, like a billion people believe what I just said about Jesus on the cross. They don't get it. They can't see it. Here's a person you might know. That's John Adams, one of our founding fathers in this country, the second president of the U.S., and he wrote a letter to his friend and fellow founding father, John, Thomas Jefferson, back in 1816. Listen, I almost shudder at the thought of alluding to the most fatal example of the abuses of grief, which the history of mankind has preserved, the cross. Adams is talking about our cross. Consider what calamities that engine of grief has produced. Wow. Brilliant man. Couldn't see it foolishness to him. This picture is a man named George Bernard Shaw. He lived in the last century. He won a Nobel Prize for literature. He's a famous writer of plays. In his will, Shaw said, I'm an evolutionist. He said, I want no public monument or work of art or inscription or sermon or ritual service commemorating me to include any established church or take the form of a cross or any other instrument or torture or symbol of blood sacrifice. He hated the cross so much, he put that in his will. I don't want a cross anywhere after I'm gone. Nowadays, we have this real, strong, intelligent atheist movement, the new atheists. They're very smart. 
They're very articulate. They write best-selling books. Names like Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins. That's one of them right there. That's Dawkins. Don't read their books. They'll just make you mad. I tried to read a couple of them. I'm yelling at the book. No, that's not it. No, you got it wrong. They love to make fun of all religion, and especially Christianity, especially Jesus and the cross. This is Dawkins. This is how he writes. God incarnated himself as a man, Jesus, in order that he should be tortured and executed in atonement for the hereditary sins of Adam. If God wanted to forgive our sins, why not just forgive them without having himself tortured, executed in payment? It is, when you think about it, remarkable that a religion should adopt an instrument of torture and execution as its sacred symbol, often worn around the neck. Sarcasm, mockery. Dawkins is making fun of Jesus and the cross. Here's a picture you might recognize. September 11th, 2001. We all remember where we were. Turn on the TV. Something's happening. Those terrorist attacks, those planes hit the World Trade Center. And all this rubble, almost 3,000 people died right there. And remember this? A cross emerged from all the rubble. They called it the Ground Zero Cross. It was just steel girders that somehow survived like that. And that cross became a symbol of hope for those workers down there. They loved that cross. They would pray there even. Well, later, they, of course, cleared all this away and built the Ground Zero Memorial. Anybody been there? I haven't been there yet. I want to go someday. And they were going to use that cross and include it in the memorial. And guess what happened? An attack from all the atheists, right? They didn't want that cross to be part of that memorial. They said it was illegal and honored only one religion. It's like they hate the cross. Get it away from us. And by the way, thank God, it's still there. Somehow it prevailed and it's part of that memorial today. Here's another example. You may recognize this one. It's in San Diego, California. It's on a place called Mount Soledad. 43 feet high. It's part of a great veteran cemetery up there. It was erected back in 1954 when the cross was more okay in this country, all right? But in the 80s and 90s and the early part of this century, continuous litigation and court cases against that cross. Get rid of it. It shouldn't be there. Public property, uh, violation of separation of church and state. They would not give up on this thing. And finally, I think the city actually just bought the property and made it private property and said, there. So it's still there today. Here's somebody I know that you know. Oprah. Television, entertainment, superstar. She's almost the personification of our culture in this country today, really. And this is what she said. Read this. I was like you are. I thought Jesus came and died on the cross. Jesus being here was about his death and dying on the cross. But it really was about him coming to show us how to do it, to show us the Christ consciousness that he had and that our consciousness abides in all of us. That's what I got. That's what I got. This one makes me sad for her. Is she saying what we think she's saying? She used to believe in Jesus on the cross, but no more. Now it's this strange, cosmic, Christ consciousness thing. Listen to this. Another quote from Oprah Winfrey. Do not make the pathetic error of clinging to the old rugged cross. That's what she says. 
What's she talking about? She's quoting a gospel song that Christians love to sing. I'll cherish the old rugged cross. I will cling to the old rugged cross. We love the cross, and she's saying those words are pathetic, an error. Wow, makes me sad. They don't understand the cross. It's foolishness to them. They try to explain it away. They mock the cross. They try to remove it from our lives. It seems like they do hate the cross. Why? Why is it so? Why is the world perspective so terribly negative about the cross and Jesus? Okay, a few reasons. I'll try to answer that question. Here's one. Many times they haven't seen the real cross. What they think they've seen is a distortion. And this is on us, sure. Sometimes we have failed to represent the cross accurately. And sometimes the cross has been co-opted, exploited, used in wrong ways. So what they think they see is not the real thing. We have to change that and do a better job on that. Many times they see the cross and they just think it's kind of barbaric. Why do you Christians love this thing? It was awful. All kinds of torture and blood and violence. Why do you like it? Or sometimes it seems like a big failure. Your guy died. <laughs> they killed him. Why do you follow him? The end of his life was this great tragedy. What good can come from that? There's another reason, too. It's more of a theological reason. It turns out the cross exposes sin. Sin was the reason it had to happen. In a way, if you accept the cross, you have to accept the reality of sin. And Jesus spoke about this in different words. John chapter 3, verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. The light, of course, is Jesus. When he came into the world, total darkness. Here comes the light, the light of the world, Jesus himself. But they didn't like it. I guess even physically, if you're in a dark place for a long, long time, your eyes dilate so much to try to see anything, you know. When someone turns the light on, what? It hurts. It's painful. Turn that light off. And that's how it was. When he came, that blinding light of God's holiness in Jesus, the world didn't like it. In fact, it says the world loved the darkness. The word is agape. It is. With that kind of love, that kind of committed love, the world chose the darkness, committed to the darkness. Why? Because it exposes where I'm at, the human condition. We're sinners. We're fallen. We're broken. And so rather than accept the light, people commit to the darkness. That's so sad. The cross had to happen because of sin. If you accept the cross, it means you have to accept. It means I'm a sinner. What am I saying now? I'm saying this. Sometimes people don't understand the cross because they don't want to understand the cross. It's intentional. They choose not to. It's not a lack of intelligence. People are intelligent. Not a lack of information. Most of them know the facts. Even Dawkins, the atheist, was quoting the facts about Christ and death and atonement and all that. Many people simply choose not to see. And there's one more reason, too. Another one is in the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The God, small g God, of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That, again, is talking about our enemy, the devil himself. Yes, he's defeated, devil, but he's still alive and well on planet Earth, 
and his greatest tool is deception. He's a liar. And he has found a way to blind the minds of billions of people. All those Muslims, their minds are blinded. All those atheists, their minds are blinded. They cannot see. And that's why the cross is foolishness to them. Wow, that's powerful. They simply can't see it. Now, there's more because the verse we started with said this. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Perishing? That's a pretty negative word. Yeah, it is. It means they're dying. We sang about this today. Did you know that? About ourselves. I was breathing but not alive, we sang. That's right. That's how all of us started this life in this world. We all started out breathing but not really alive. Walking dead. Perishing. That's right. The world is perishing. Without Jesus on the cross, they're perishing. Now, let's not think about Oprah or Richard Dawkins or all these people we don't know. I want you right now to start thinking about people that you do know that are still like that without Jesus. Put their faces in your mind right now. Think about names that come up in your family even, your neighbors, people you work with, people in your world that you love. They're perishing. I'm doing it too. I'm thinking about people I know and I love. And they're lost and they're blind and they can't see. Nine years ago, I got this job in this secular organization. A great organization. I love my job. I always wanted to be out in the real world where the people are. Because my family, all Christians, you know, and all of you awesome people surrounded by Christians, pastors get that way. Pastors become in this big Christian bubble. I wanted to get out of my Christian bubble. I am now, every day. And now I have another problem. Maybe it's worse. Now I know dozens, hundreds of people. I'm going to see a bunch of them tomorrow at work. Maybe you too. And I know they're lost. And I know they're blind. And I love them a lot. I like them a lot. And I don't like the thought that they're perishing. But it's real. So I get in my car and I go to work tomorrow and I pray almost every day. Here we go, Jesus, me and you, with them, today again. More about that later. Wow, people that you and I know are perishing. It's real. It's in the Bible. They can't see the cross. They're blinded by the God of this age. The message of the cross is foolishness to them. So what do we do? It seems overwhelming. It seems impossible. Do we give up? Do we do nothing at all? Well, here's some good news. I'm ready for some good news. How about you? The good news is God didn't give up. He didn't just leave them that way. He knows all these things are true. You know how I know God didn't give up? Because we're here. That was all of us once upon a time. And God didn't give up on us and leave us blind and perishing. Praise God. He did something. And why did he? Because God is love. God is God. Love is God's DNA, somebody said. His heart is full of love for all of us blind, perishing people. And there's some Bible verses about that too. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. People say, why is God taking so long? Answer, you. The answer is, he's given you chances. Two chances, a hundred chances. He's giving you time. He's patient. He's long-suffering. He's waiting. 
for you to open the door to repent and to not perish. That's his will for everybody. And then we have our most famous beloved verse in all the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's what God did. He sent Jesus to the cross for all of us. That's right. He did everything. He did all the heavy lifting. All the hard work has been done. It's all finished. It's all paid for. It's all available now. So what do we do? Just sit back and do nothing? No, we can't. I'm going to give you three things we can all do about our people in our world that don't see the cross. Here they are. You're going to like them. Maybe even write them down. Ready? First thing we can do is pray. You knew that one, didn't you? You expected that one, I guess. Pray what? Pray that God will do this thing that only he can do for them. You know, God is still God, and he does God stuff. He still does impossible things. He still does miracles. He still heals blind eyes. Not even just this kind of blindness, okay, but that kind of blindness, that spiritual blindness. And only God can do that. Pray for that to happen. Here's a verse for that. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Yeah, the God who said on the first page of your Bible, let there be light, and there was light. Now he's saying God has done that again in our hearts. He opened our eyes. He took away the blindness. We saw the light. We saw Jesus, and he changed our lives forever. You can pray. In fact, I got an idea. Let's interrupt this message right now and pray right now. Get those faces back in your mind. Get those names back in your mind. I'm doing that too. People we know and love in our world. Let's pray for them right now together in Jesus' name. Father in heaven, we come to you in prayer. We thank you for your love. We thank you you don't want anybody to perish. And now we're praying about people we love, and they're perishing right now without you. Our sons, our daughters, our friends, our coworkers, all my friends at work that don't know you, God, we pray and ask, do that thing that only you can do. Let there be light. Break in their darkness. Invade their world. Reveal yourself in miraculous ways. Break through and do that miracle where they can see you, Jesus, and what you did for them on the cross. And help us to pray faithfully tomorrow, every day, every year, as long as it takes till they come to know you. We thank you. We pray for them. In Jesus' name, amen. That's the first thing. You can pray. The second thing is to live it. That's right. To represent. Let them see Jesus through our lives. Show them what a Christian looks like. Show them what the cross really is all about in the way that we live. We got to do that every day. One wise man said, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. I like that. I understand that. You got to live it. That's right. But let me tell you something about that. I live it. I go to work and love people when I'm nice and I pray for them when they want me to and I care about them. They know that. I don't want those friends to come to the end of their life on their deathbed thinking, that guy Rick Benjamin, he's a nice guy. What was that all about? What good does it do? The commission is not go into all the world, pray and be nice and kind of hope they get it. Yes, we should pray. Yes, we should live it. The third thing we got to do is preach. 
That's the word. We read it. The preaching of the cross. And don't take a bad attitude towards that word preach. I don't mean, you know, manipulate people and blast them and be a Bible thumper. Uh, by the way, that doesn't work anyway. I tried a bunch of times. When I was younger, I tried to be a Bible thumper, almost force people to get saved. I thought that was the way to do it. It doesn't work. Just annoys people. They get offended. They might say some words to get you to leave them alone. It doesn't work. No. Preach means simply tell them. Tell them the story. For my friends at work, someday, somehow, I got to say with this mouth, you just need Jesus. It's not about me. If I'm a nice guy, it's because of him. The only truly nice person that ever walked this earth. Jesus himself. That's right. We got to tell them. My wife and I, we, we love a gospel singer-songwriter from a generation ago, Andre Crouch. He had a traveling group, Andre Crouch and the Disciples. Dolores and I were groupies. We go to concerts. We know all the words by heart. Great songs like To God Be the Glory, Bless the Lord, O My Soul, Take Me Back, all these great songs. One of them simply called Tell Them. All week long, my wife and I have been singing that song. We played it at home this week, thinking about those words. It's simple. The song says, tell them, even if they don't believe you, just tell them. Tell them for me that I love them. And I came to let them know. Tell them I can mend the brokenhearted. Just tell them. It has to come down to that. Find the way. Find the words. Find the time. But somehow they've got to hear it. Bring them here. Bring them to church. We'll tell them. <laughs> we'll do it for you. But in some way, they've got to hear those words. That's the power of God that can save them. This passage, a little bit out of context, but I do think it applies in principle. Watch this. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, be patient with difficult people, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they'll come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. They have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. There's our part. Pray for them. Love them. Be gentle, it says. Be patient. Tell them. Gently instruct. Give them the word. Give them the truth. And then one day, someday, God does his part. The part that only he can do. Not because of your wise words. Not because of your perfect life. No. Because God does the miracle. And he changes their hearts. And they come to their senses. And they go, oh, now I see. My eyes are open. Oh, now I understand. It's not foolishness. This is what I want. This is what I need. What a great glorious day that is. To people in this world, the cross is foolishness. They're blind and they're perishing. That's the bad news. They can't see the cross until they see it. <laughs> because that does happen. So we pray for God to do that that miracle only he can do. Open their blind eyes, change their hearts. They can see Jesus and repent and believe and not perish. That's the message today. The cross, the world's perspective. Now maybe that's you. You walked into this Christian church service today. Maybe you're still in the world. Maybe it all feel foolishness to you. But maybe, just maybe, something is happening inside of you right now. I pray for that to be happening inside of you right now, where God is opening your eyes. He's changing your heart. You're seeing it maybe for the first time. 
I want to give you a chance to respond if that's you today. Everybody, just please close your eyes. We're going to pray in a moment. Give you a chance to respond. Maybe today's your day. May 6, 2018, your spiritual birthday. It could happen before we leave this place. If you want to receive Jesus, if you're seeing it maybe for the first time and you want to respond to God today, raise your hand so I can see it. Just for a moment, I'm looking around to see your hand. Don't want to leave you out. Thank you. God bless you. If you want to receive Jesus, you want to respond today, this is your day. This is your time. Don't let this moment pass. We don't want to leave you out. Anybody else want to raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. We're going to pray. We're going to pray a prayer all together. Everybody in the whole place, just follow along with me. It's not about the words, but if you mean these words in your heart, the miracle can happen right now as we pray. Let's do it together. Father in heaven, thank you for loving me so much. You didn't leave me blind and perishing. You sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. Thank you for opening my eyes to see Jesus on the cross. Help me to repent and turn away from my sin. Help me to live for you every day. And help me to tell my world about Jesus and the cross. Amen. Thank you. There's people here at the front. They're here to pray with you and pray for you about this commitment, this response today for healing, for any spiritual need you have. Don't take it home. Come here and pray. Leave it with God. Most of us here today, the moment happened a long time ago. I know that. We know that. Most of us have been knowing Jesus for a long time. So I want to ask you to do this. Remember. Do you remember before Jesus? Do you remember when you were blind? When none of it made sense? When you didn't get it? Like Ephesians says, you were without hope and without God in the world. Do you remember back then? Then do you remember your day? That time when God opened your eyes and changed your heart? Do you remember when God made his light shine in your heart? And when you saw Jesus on the cross, we sang it today. You called my name. I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glorious day. You remember that time? Because the rest of the verse says to us who are being saved, the cross is the power of God. Yeah. Anybody else happy you're a Christian today? Come on. Well, let's stand up. And we're going to worship him and thank him that we're not there anymore. And he saved us and we're not perishing. Thank you, God, for the cross, the gospel, the power of God, and your amazing grace. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at abbotloop.org and like us on Facebook. Services in Anchorage, Alaska are at 9 and 11 a.m. We hope to see you soon.